Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm really excited to be joined by the indie app developer behind Drag Thing, Peacock, and Dice, as well as seasoned podcast veteran, guesting on all sorts of shows with the Incomparable and Real FM, and probably way more than uh, I know about. Welcome to the show, James Thompson. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, it's kind of, it's nice to branch out into uh, somewhere new as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably a person whose name you actually don't already know. Well, I mean, I've got a uh, dark noise on my phone. So Really? Yes. Oh man. Well, that's cool to hear. No, I really like it. Um, I was sort of playing around with it again, just there. And it's like, yeah, this it's really nice. Awesome. Well, thank you. So I want to start all these out with an icebreaker question, just to kind of keep the conversational tone, since nobody really knows who I am anyway. So I kind of want to have that uh, conversational, you know, style through this whole thing. So eventually, I want those to be coming from listeners. Um, and I actually do have a couple. But for you, I have a particular icebreaker question that I wanted to ask. You're a frequent guest on The Incomparable. So you're kind of a media guru, at least from my perspective. So my question is, what is your preference for how to watch TV shows. Do you prefer like the weekly drop that's been sort of coming with Apple TV and I guess not Disney Plus for you yet <laughs> over in Scotland? Or do you prefer the sort of Netflix style drop everything at once? Um, I, so I initially I would have said I like to drop everything at once. But, you know, there's been an up with like Apple TV, there's a number of shows like the For All Mankind and C and stuff, which I'm actually really enjoying. And it's kind of nice not to get it all at once, you know, because people actually can talk about episodes and, you know, there's other shows, you know, things like The Mandalorian or whatever. And it seems people can talk about them on a, like a weekly basis and there's sort of space to talk about what just happened rather than, oh, here's 20 episodes of something. And then some people will burn through it in a couple of days and some people will take weeks and there's not the same kind of, you know, water cooler, virtual water cooler uh, talk about it. So I, I think it actually is benefiting these shows to drop them once a week. Yeah, I definitely think it's like it depends on the show kind of thing, probably. Yeah, I mean, for things that I don't actually care about, you know, if they all drops at once, that's fine. I mean... Don't get me wrong. I would like to see the next episodes right, right. Uh, instantly of these things. But, you know, I think it's nice to have a certain amount of anticipation. Yeah. It's interesting, too, that they're all like dropping on Fridays, it seems like. Yeah. So you sort of come back from the week and you got all these shows to find all your friends at work or on your virtual work, I guess, um, to talk to you about. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd like them to space it out a bit. I mean, at least Doctor Who's going to be Sunday, I think, for the, the next series. So that's not all happening on, on Friday, Saturday or whatever. But yeah, um, there's just a bit too many shows at the moment. I yes. know it's, <laughs> I shouldn't complain about that, but there's like, you know, Watchmen is really worth watching. Um, and all these things, it's just, it's either there's too many or there's not enough and yeah. <laughs> I would like them to space out. Yeah. And everybody like sort of fighting uh, to win this streaming war thing at the same time probably means we're going to get like the highest amount of high quality content right now. And then it's all going to just like 
drop out from underneath us once somebody wins. Yeah, I mean, I I think we're all spending the money to like see these thirteen streaming networks to see yeah. these shows, and I don't think that's going to be sustainable in the long run. Um, but I think that's true of subscriptions in general. But that's a that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We we probably won't touch on that, but that would be one that uh, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on anyway, <laughs> some other time. Um, so before we uh, get into like your actual apps, mm-hmm. um, I kind of want to get like a quick rundown for people who don't already know who you are, which is probably almost nobody at this point. But, you know, so I'd like to know uh, where are you from? How did you learn like formal education or self-taught? And then what was your career? We'll say pre-drag thing in this case. So, um, yeah, I'm from Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, my accent sounds a bit in the middle between Scotland and England because my mum grew up on the, in the south of England. So I kind of like sound English in Scotland and Scotland in, in England. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's confusing. But anyway, yes, I started out, I mean, really to go all the way back, uh, I got a Commodore 64 in, I think, around 1983. And around about the same time as that, my school, uh, and this was in primary seven, uh, we got uh, a BBC Model B uh, computer, which is a particularly UK thing. Okay. Uh, But it had a really good basic programming language on it, and you could do graphics and various other things with it. So when I I got those machine or I got access to those machines and the I started out because I I mean I'm like 10 at this point uh I started out playing games on them because that's what you do of course and there was one series of games in particular from a developer called Jeff Minter who he started out you know, in the early 80s, and there was Commodore 64 games with titles such as Revenge of the Mutant Camels, which was the sequel, to, of course, to Attack of the Mutant Camels. And he did all these games, and they kind of all involved some kind of sheep, camel, llama things. Um, and he taught me that a single person could make something, because he always put his name on it, on like the title screen. And that you could put a certain amount of your personality into your software. So I wanted to make games like him. You know, I met him once at a computer show down in London. Um, and so that was, that was the sort of like, well, how do you do this? And I started messing around with Commodore 64 and for, and with the BBC Basic. And I knew at that point that I wanted to go on to do, uh, computing as whatever my career was going to be. So I ended up doing a degree in computing science at Glasgow University, um, about five minutes walk away from where I'm currently living. Um, and there I first encountered the, the Macintosh. And at this point it was sort of SEs and, and that era of machine. This is sort of, this is 1990. Okay. And, it was like the Mac was just so much better than anything else I'd used. I had an Atari ST at this point, and I realized that the the user interface of the Mac uh, had been the inspiration for the ST's user interface, and they had ripped it off poorly. 
Um, so it was like seeing this and seeing the kind of how well thought through everything was, how well designed it was. It was like, well, you know, I've got to make apps for this thing. Well, they were called applications back then, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and so my app that I wrote to learn how to program the Mac, the first thing I ever wrote starting around 91, 92 was indeed Peacock because oh, I wow. wanted an app. I wanted a scientific calculator app and I wanted one that did, you know, hex and octal and binary and that because I was using that in my course and I hadn't found a decent one for the Mac. And I thought, oh, this is a small enough project. I can do it. The, the other way that this came from was um, one of the classes that I was doing was user interface design. And one of the projects that we had uh, was to design a central heating uh, control panel. And this was done in Hypercard at this point. So I, I did this. And as part of it, I had created this fake seven-segment LCD display. And I had all these buttons. And I was like, well, I can reuse all these assets that I've made um, for a calculator. And that was basically the the decision as to why I make a calculator was I'd already drawn these <laughs> graphics. So I wrote PCalc and I released it as freeware in 92. And I went on and I wrote uh, DragThing in 94, 95. And all of this was just learning new things. Like DragThing was learning the new drag and drop APIs that had appeared in System 7.5, I think it was. And all, all of this stuff was sort of learning. But in the uh, release notes for all of these things, it basically said, I wanted to work for Apple. You know, so if there's anyone out there at Apple who can get me a job, please do. You were using that as like an Easter egg uh, resume? Yeah, it, it was putting it out into the world. And at this point, the stuff was free. And it was like, let's see if it can, if it be popular and if this can get me a job at Apple. That one question I did have is how were you distributing that? Was that over the internet? Yeah, I mean, this was uh, certainly with Peacock, it was pre-web. Right. So like the web for me kind of was first aware of it sort of like 94 95 so this was 92 and there was a thing called the infomac archive and it was an ftp archive of software and you could submit your software to this and there was a, a usenet group that kind of you could post stuff to and it it would auto submit and and so on. And then there'd be a roundup each day, I think it was, of the new things that had gone up on this. So you could- Interesting. So you could subscribe to this and you could get like the, oh, here's here's the new software for the for the week or whatever. Right. And yeah, it was all pre, pre-web and, you know, it, it was kind of interesting to do all this stuff before that point, you know? And I mean, there was like, well, it was literally, it would go on floppy disks on the front of magazines and that that sort of things. And there was like shareware library type places where you could write off and get a paper catalog and then send off for things and you get them back on disk. Yeah, because like you said, it was was freeware. But at that point, unless you were going to like work with a retailer or something? Was there really a way to sell it? Um, I mean, those things were starting at that point. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think, I don't know, can't remember what year something like Doom was, which, you know, was distributed to shareware. Um, But it was difficult. But there were companies like Kagi, who were the people I ended up 
eventually using for selling peak elk and drag thing at first anyway. They probably started around, I'm, I'm guessing around sort of 95, 96, that, that time frame. Um, what my software was, I mean, as well as being a sort of calling card and trying to get me a job because I was at university and I, I wanted a job at the end of this. Uh, it was also, I, I had some of them as sort of coolware or postcardware or something. So people would send me just random postcards and things from around the world. I mean, this was like the day I put my home address in the about box for this <laughs> software. Yeah, I can't imagine doing that now. No, I, I absolutely would not do that now. Although I also can't imagine downloading random applications uh, to my computer that have like full system access and just running them. Yeah, I mean, it was more innocent times yeah. <laughs> and in a lot of ways. But by uh, 94, I graduated and I ended up actually getting a job at the university where I had uh, been an undergraduate. And I was working on the, the systems team who were the people who, you know, I was basically a system administrator looking oh, okay. after the, the same labs of Macs that I had used before. It was basically because I had complained because I was a student rep and I would be complaining to the system staff constantly about <laughs> the state of all the systems. So my punishment for this was I was put in charge of them. And yeah, then had, now you have to fix it. And then I had undergraduates complaining at me about the state <laughs> of the stuff. So, you know, it was like circle of life and all that. And while I was working there, you know, I was writing some in-house software for the, um, for the department, uh, learning more and more about uh, writing Mac apps. Uh, so it was a good sort of training ground. And then at some point in this, I think it was uh, late 96, I got an email from somebody at Apple who said, oh, I saw your uh, readme in, in drag thing. Uh, do you want a job? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I this was, I went over for an interview. I mean, it wasn't just a job offer. It was an, an, op an offer of an interview. At least. Right. To come to California. Well, this was the thing. It wasn't California. It, this was Cork in Ireland. Oh, so interesting. This uh, was close by. You know, it was it was still not Scotland, but it, you know, it was just a short hop across the water. And in Cork, they had uh, what was primarily a manufacturing plant, which had been making things like from the Apple II days. Uh, there was a point, I think they were like fabricating their own silicon in the factory or something. It was like, you know, sand goes in one end and computers came out the other. Wow. But at this point, they also had uh, software teams to support some of the hardware. And some of the hardware was designed there as well. Like the there was a TV tuner card that was on some of the, you could get for some of the early Macintoshes and the software for that was written in Cork. And I think the hardware was developed there too. Hmm. And at that point, when I went over, uh, they had quite a big staff because uh, I think there was about 150 engineers working on stuff. And uh, this was for uh, Mac OS 8, the original Mac OS 8, which was called Copeland, which was an operating system that Apple was writing to replace classic Mac OS. You know, so memory protected, all the, the sort of modern things, but it's not Mac OS X. And uh, Apple had been saying for a number of years at WWDC, this is the future, you know. Yeah, this is the one that was always coming, right? Yeah. Uh, 
And so I went over, I had the interview, was offered a job, and I moved over and my wife moved over with me. Uh, not my wife then, actually, but, um, but I'll come to that later. And I joined and they cancelled the project. I was on the Copeland installer team for two weeks and the whole operating system was cancelled. What year was this again? This would be, I think, late 96. Okay. So there was kind of a disbelief that the thing had been cancelled because people had been working on this for years. And they'd been talking publicly about it for a long time, right? Yeah, there'd yeah. been, I think, at least two WWDCs where, you know, this was coming and there had been uh, early uh, alpha builds of the OS sent to developers and things. You know, this was this was like serious investment by Apple. Slightly bigger deal than uh, air power not coming. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> the, 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 this, this was a... I, I dread to think how many hundreds of millions of dollars and people's time went into this. And there were people still working on stuff when I got there, even though it had been cancelled, because nobody actually believed that it would really be cancelled. <laughs> it's like uh, when a war ends uh, before like the telephone. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, there was these developers hiding out in the jungle, <laughs> unaware that... Um, they say to this day, there's still uh, one developer in a corner in Cork. Yes. And uh, when I, I went, it was like clear... And it hadn't been clear to me on the outside, and I'd have clearly not done my research, that Apple was in a bad way at this point. You know, they were, uh, like, my manager resigned shortly after I joined, and there was, like, Apple was, you know, one quarter away from bankruptcy at this point. The It was not uh, long for this world, and they brought in Gil Emilio, who was this hatchet man who was basically brought in to axe a lot of uh, jobs and lots of people I know were fired and uh, whenever people would leave, they wouldn't be replaced. And, uh, you know, the entire engineering team by the end of when I was at Apple, we all fitted around one table at uh, lunchtime. It was- Man. It gone from a lot of people and a lot of test organization because they, they are, one of Apple's things at the time was they wanted testers in uh, US time zone, uh, in Japan, and in Europe. So they could basically have 24-hour testing. So there would be a build come out, and by the time the engineers got back in the next morning, you know, it had been through a full cycle of testing. That was the theory. Oh, yeah. Um, so that was, I mean, that was one of the reasons why they had all the stuff. But because, you know, Apple was running out of money, uh, they were reducing all the external stuff and bringing stuff back into Cupertino as much as they could. Um, but, you know, despite all this, I got to work on some interesting stuff. Um, I mean, the, the first thing that I did, or the first two projects that I worked on in Apple, um, I've told the story before, so if anybody's heard it before, I'm sorry. Um, but it was, uh, we were working for Disney because Apple was going to launch these consumer machines and they wanted some consumer grade software to include on them. And Disney had all these print studios at the time, which are things where you could print out sort of greetings cards and envelopes and stickers and whatever. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And they had these for the PC and they wanted a version for the Mac. And the first one was 101 Dalmatians. Um, and so, uh, Apple went to Disney and said, 
can we want you to port this stuff to the Mac and you know we'll give you a million dollars or whatever it was and Disney turned around to Apple and Cork and said we'd like you to port this stuff and we'll give you like $500,000 <laughs> and so we ended up working for Disney working for Apple which was a really weird situation because <laughs> yeah. we had these two bosses and we were we would submit builds to Disney um but you know we were working for Apple uh and so I did that and that shipped and that shipped with the performers at the time and then we did a version based on the Hercules movie uh and I mean these were kind of you know, it's sort of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say simple because nothing that involves printing is simple. Sure. Uh, but, you know, they, they were fairly straightforward applications. And we got to, we were taking the design of the Windows apps and rewriting it from scratch under the hood. So they looked the same and they felt the same, but it was all different code underneath. Yeah. I, I was a uh, Windows phone developer who was basically doing the exact same thing for a couple of years. Microsoft would give a bunch of money to a company to uh, port their Android or iOS app over because nobody wanted it. Hmm. And then that company didn't care at all. They would just turn around and hand the money to us and say, you have exactly this much money to uh, port this thing over. So I'm very familiar with that concept. Yeah. So, I mean, but it was an, it, it was interesting work and I learned a lot of stuff about the, you know, again, like we were doing this in C++ and using, uh, the Metworks code warrior power plant framework for that stuff. Um, but I, I wanted to work on like Mac OS 10 was kind of starting up internally at this time. And, you know, we were aware of it. Um, and it was the, Apple didn't have quite the secrecy that it had later on. Um, so, you know, we knew the stuff was there and, and I wanted, I wanted to be involved in this. And I was like, my main thing was I like doing user interface design. And, uh, so they gave me a project working on a server authentication, uh, thing which had no user interface whatsoever yeah, the opposite uh, so it was you know all networking code and you know multi-threaded networking authentication whatever i was like the worst person to, to put on that project <laughs> and i worked on that for uh probably six months to a year or something uh maybe not that long and uh it turned out that it was actually, it was for the iMac because at that point the iMac was going to be a diskless workstation that net booted. Oh man. So it was called the iMac. This was pre like jobs and Ives sort of thing. Well, no, no jobs had come back at this point. Okay. But so this was 90, yeah, 97, 98. Okay. That kind of time frame. But they, I think the project was still developing internally as to what it was going to be. And in the end, all that diskless workstation stuff and my code along with it was thrown out. Oh, so, man. Well, there's a, there's a pattern of that for my work at Apple. Um, <laughs> but one of the other things at the time was uh, when I joined Apple, I said, I've also got these apps that I do in my, you know, in my own time, peacock and drag thing. And I'd like to keep working on them in the evenings and weekends and make that a condition of my, my employment. And Apple, well, Apple Cork at least said, yeah, sure. No problem. And you absolutely wouldn't get a deal like that with Apple yeah, today. No way. You, you know, you see all these engineers who have got jobs at Apple and then just like their apps just disappear. Yep. Um, 
And it's always very sad when when that happens. You know, you're happy for somebody who's got a job and and you know they're probably their dream job and is working for Apple, but you know their software is never going to get touched ever again. Yeah, but I could w- work on these in 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 my own time, and so you know I was keeping Peak Out going and and uh, Drag Thing as well, and I had built into Drag Thing uh, a timeout in the the versions because i was fed up with people who would come to me and say oh i found this bug and it was like yeah i fixed that you know in version 1.5 so they always like each build only lasted a year and because i was working at apple and i didn't have that much time uh, to work on my own stuff the uh it was getting very close to that year point and because the app was free you know it didn't matter yeah Uh, and I think it was it was around about that time that uh, drag thing was cool. Where you know I said send me something cool, and I got all this weird stuff like you know animation cells, and I, I've got a big pile of stuff still of, of all the things people say. Yeah, I've never heard that term. That's that's kind of an interesting concept. I, it was kind of it was like an honor system. It was freeware. You know, you didn't have to send me anything, but the, the idea was you know. Just, if you feel like it, if you get some use out of this thing, send me something. Yeah, but there's something. Uh sort of cutesy like uh i don't know something about the ios community i've noticed since coming over here is that there's just this sort of weird playfulness and that feels like that now i'm not saying that was an apple thing necessarily then but like uh i'm trying to think like my mind is racing like could you have a concept like that today i don't know how that would work i think yeah it's difficult today i mean i think it was a lot easier to sell software uh, or people were I don't want to use the word entitled, but you know kind of what I mean? It's like if you're trying to sell an app at $2, people complain at you. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the back then, somebody emailed me and they were working for a very large advertising firm. And they said, you know, our accounting department doesn't understand the concept of cool. Can we send you money? And I'm like, sure (laughs) what (laughs) like this had never really occurred to me for some reason that you could just ask people for money and so i timed it with the release of this new version which had basically unintentionally all the old versions that were free died and then i had the shareware version um so if you wanted to keep using the software, which had been around at this point for two years and lots of people were using it, um, you had to uh, pay some money. And uh, so it actually did extremely well. I was about to say, like, how was there like blowback? Not really. I mean, I think I'd built up a, I mean, that. so this is one of the things about, I think the iOS community and the Apple community generally is if you have goodwill It's like the most invaluable currency as a developer. And it's like I put the tip jar into PCALC and people put money in it. You know, they don't have to. There's no reason for them to do so. But they do it because they kind of like what I do and want to support it. And, you know, here's here's a little extra thing. I mean, there's occasional people who complain, but. um, Yeah, that's definitely something I. I've noticed too switching over because I, I used to live in the Android world and there's lots of things I liked about that too. But uh, the concept of a tip jar was not really a thing you saw anywhere. And along with that, you didn't have a bunch of apps that have these like 
little weird touches or like an about screen uh, like peacock where it's like that it almost feels like that's the developer giving back like there's this give and take thing maybe it is like coolware where it's like it's not necessarily just a transaction where i give you money you give me product there's this sort of relationship that exists yeah and i mean that that's what i like to think of it i mean it's like um you know, Peacock's been around 27 years at this point. So there have been people using it for a long time. And, you know, there's people using it who weren't born when it came out, um, <laughs> which is a disturbing thing to think about. But it's, yeah, there, there is a kind of, you try and like, you know, I'm not going to screw you over. And, you know, I'm going to give you a nice product for a fair price. And people then kind of respect you for that. And, yeah, you get you can get this kind of you know sort of symbiotic relationship, I guess. Yeah, no, I I definitely see that, and uh, it's like if you're not in the world, everything you're saying probably sounds really cheesy. It probably would have sounded cheesy to me a couple of years ago, but I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's it's like a weird, uh, like community relationship thing between the creators and the users. Yeah, and and that's what it was like back in the the early days as well, you know, because like with all, all of these things, you could just email the people who were writing the software and you could talk to them. And like when I was doing Drag Thing, which I don't think I've said what it was, but it, you know, it was a sort of app switcher launcher doc thing. Um, there were like three or four other people who were working on fairly well regarded similar products, and we would swap code. You know, if somebody worked out how to do something, it's like, oh, how do you display this particular icon or do this kind of thing? You know, we would share that information. It wasn't done in a kind of territorial way. So, you know, I knew all those folk and some of them worked at Apple as well, as it turned out. (laughs) Yeah. So there there was a nice community feel back then. And I think there is still a nice community. Uh, the, The difference is the scale of it these days. It's so big. Right. There's probably, you know, hundreds of developers who, you know, highly skilled putting out really good apps that I just don't know about because I haven't come across them. And, you know, and I think it is difficult for for people to kind of break into it. But that's the difference is there's just, you know, so so much going on there. Yeah, I can say as someone who was not part of that uh, at the beginning of this year or I guess last year, depending on when this episode comes out. And then now I feel like I've been sort of fully embraced by this community. It It's like a night and day difference. And for me, it was uh, during WWDC as a completely, you know, uh, not in California bystander on Twitter. This was the first year I started like just kind of tweeting and replying to people. And it snowballed so quickly because everybody was just excited about all the same things. And I happen to be working on a thing and people are just like extremely uh, beneficial with their time and would be like, oh, you might want to try this or you might, you know, here's it. like you're saying, people would literally DM me code like, oh, this is a little helper I wrote to solve this problem or whatever. And I've been trying to do the same thing now, uh, but it's, it is really wild when you sort of somehow break into that fold of iOS developers on Twitter because there's all this like shared resource going on. Yeah. And like when uh, the iPhone SDK first came out, there was a similar sort of, 
you know, frontier feel to it. And yeah. lots of people sharing tips and it's like, and I mean, these days, the, the absolute difference is there's Apple people on Twitter who are sharing things, you know, and you can find out, well, this is the person who was up on stage at WWDC and I have their email address or I know who they are on Twitter. And I can, I can ask them a question and, you know, sometimes they're quite busy because they've got a lot of things to do, but sometimes, you know, people will answer and say, oh no, you should probably do this or, or whatever. Yeah. I had, uh, Ari, the, uh, the lead on not work, uh, workflow, but, uh, shortcuts now. Yeah. He like responded to a tweet once that I made and I was being sort of snarky and I felt bad because I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I know you work on this. And like, yeah, he's obviously really busy, but he took the time to sort of be like, Oh, this should work. Oh, maybe that doesn't work. I'll go back to the team. And that was a wild interaction to have. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's been kind of like, I got, into doing podcasts, you know, what feels like relatively recently for me, you know, it was probably 2014, which I guess is now five years at this point. Yeah. But, you know, the, I think it was kind of the iOS stuff really kickstarted the community a bit. And, you know, since I got involved in doing the podcasting and was more of a visible face, you know, my, my sort of, I don't want to use the word stardom because yeah. <laughs> you, you, I know that, exactly what just, you mean though. That, that's a terrible, terrible thing because it's like nobody knows who I am outside an extremely small bubble. Um, but that kind of doing that podcasting stuff and, and trying to engage slightly more with people in the community and, you know, has really helped my sort of profile. And, you know, I, I'm now sort of, you know, in your intro, you were saying, you know, nobody will, nobody needs to be introduced to who I am. And I was listening to that thinking, God, that's terrifying, <laughs> you know, in a, in a kind of like, A, I never want to believe my own hype. Cause, you know, the second you think, oh, yeah, I'm a big deal, you know, you've lost it. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of been a weird ride over the last, like even just five years because, you know, Peak Elk's done really well. Um, I think one of the, the sort of the inciting incidents in that was, um, when the Peak Elk, Peak Elk has a notification center widget and Apple very briefly banned it, uh, saying, uh, I think this was in 2014 when widgets first appeared. Like I was being featured on the app store for this widget as a great example of a notification center widget. And I was also being told that I had to remove it because it, you know, contravened, uh, various developer, uh, guidelines. Did they, did they pull it from the store or they like wouldn't let you submit, uh, new builds? They told me at the time I had like three weeks to remove the feature. Holy or cow. They would, <laughs> or they would pull the, the builds down or pull the app down. And, you know how the Apple says, you know, running to the press never works. Yeah. That, that's not true. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something that one can only, like, you should never run to the press as your first thing. Um, you should try and talk to people. Well, it's it's like you were saying earlier, goodwill is a capital that you can build up and you can spend. Yeah. And running to the press is spending that goodwill. Yeah. Uh, this, in this case, with Apple particularly, but that seems like that's an important goodwill to have. Yeah, I mean, it's like, the thing is, like, Apple is not 
like one person right you know so there's people in the engineering team who like you see what you've built and think it's amazing and they're really supportive and then there's people in another team who might not want something to work the way it works and you know so there's lots of different groups inside apple who all have completely different opinions on things um but yeah at the time i like i you know i i kind of raised a an appeal on it and that was shot down and i was told under no circumstances would this be changed and so i i i didn't even like deliberately run to the press i kind of tweeted about it <laughs> and cuz i was you know i was pretty angry cuz i'd done a lot of work to to write this thing and it was very tough cuz i think at that point there was like a 64 megabyte memory limit or something on on widgets and so i had done all this work to get it running in the in the small uh space that i had and so i tweeted about it in a grumpy fashion and these tweets basically went viral and i mean i do know some people in the press and they they were kind enough to retweet things so you know it got coverage and then it got more coverage and then it got coverage to the point that it was you know like being mentioned in print newspapers or something. Holy cow. Uh, and I got a call like 48 hours later or something like that. I can't remember the exact timeline. It was pretty short, but they basically said, you're all good. You know? <laughs> and that was a, that was a, I mean, we, we did very well out of it because of all the publicity, you know, it, it sort of made Peacock more visible. Um, but it wasn't worth it in terms of the stress. You know, a lot of these times you're thinking, you know, I'm going against the company that is, you know, in charge of my entire livelihood. Right. Uh, I don't want to piss them off, but I don't, I don't seem that I have any op- other option. Well, I mean, I had options. I could have just pulled it, but I didn't think that was right because, you know, Apple had done their own calculator notification center widget on the Mac. So I figured, well, if it's good enough for the Mac, it's clearly good enough for iOS to have these kind of inter- more interactive widgets, which was what they had a problem with. But yeah, so the, that incident uh, kind of seemed to propel me somewhat more into the, the spotlight. And then there's been an, a sort of number of things since then. And I've tried to be tries to be a reasonable member of the community and help people and you always think you can do more, you know, because I've got, to a certain extent, I've got a platform. So it's kind of like, I should do something good with it. And like with the, with the widget stuff, it was like, I kind of got my foot in the door and wedged open the door for other people. Well, this reminds me of uh, uh, over the summer or right before iOS 13 came out, um, the developer of Allegory, that note-taking app, he was having some issues with, uh, was it with the Catalyst app? I don't remember the specifics. I just remember he got rejected for what seemed like a really bizarre reason. And he's uh, he's a really good developer and you know has a kind of a decent following, but I think you were the one that sort of elevated him up whenever you retweeted and was like, "Hey, this needs to be looked at. This is kind of a big deal." And that sort of blew up in a similar fashion to what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not just me. I mean, I think there are like the, the developer community tries to look after their own, I think. And you know, people would do that for me and uh, I would do that for other people. And especially when it's something like there's a sort of dubious app store decision or something right? that you know that that's probably 
just somebody who's being very strict with the the rules and that's not really the intent of the rules or something like that and you think well if this gets a bit more visibility it'll get passed up the chain and stuff but yeah that's the other thing is you don't want to it's the nuclear option yeah yeah exactly i'm curious like because i'm sure you know ostensibly this podcast is about uh what it's like launching something and so I think this is an example of a thing where uh, controversy can sell well, right? It can raise your profile, maybe even raise your sales or whatever, but there's obviously some sort of cost to that, right? Or or do you feel like as long as you're justified, which in this case you clearly were, there wasn't really much backlash? Did you feel like you had to sort of mend any relationships with particular people at Apple or was it pretty much totally fine? Um, I don't, I mean, so the only people I ever spoke to, uh, were the engineering people who always were very supportive of what I was doing. I think those decisions were made at sort of more, you know, product marketing levels. Um, I don't know if Phil Schiller knows who I am. I suspect he's heard my name. What do you think his score is in the about screen? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, I am eternally grateful to Phil for another thing in that I got Peacock bundled with the original Angle Poise iMac. Whoa. Uh, so that happened because there was an international meet and greet at WWDC, and Phil was there and he was, you know, sort of working the room of of developers and I was talking to him and I told him what I did and I gave him a business card and I said, you know, you know, if you want a free copy of my app, let me know and I'll I'll give you one. And he got back to me and he he or I think it was his assistant got back to me and said, you know, can Phil have a serial number? And I'm like, absolutely, of course he can. <laughs> and some time after that, I got an email saying, you know, we'd like to bundle this with uh, a forthcoming machine and, uh, you know, for a certain royalty. And the royalty wasn't huge, but it was a large number of copies. So, you know, we did. Yeah, I didn't know they ever really bundled third party apps at all. Yeah, back in the early days, um, especially the early days of Mac OS X when there weren't quite as many apps around. Right. Um, the, 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 the system calculator was a very, very basic one, which resembled the one from the sort of the early classic Mac days. Um, so th- there was, you know, they would actually do it uh, territory specific as well. You know, there was a different calculator got bundled in France and things. Um, uh, I think because they had, they had a French localization and we didn't right. or, or something like that. But it, you know, there was a, there was the, these kind of deals, and and eventually, you know, the deals went away, and Apple wrote their own stuff. But it was still nice to have, you know, a year of royalties for that, and it was a not a not uh, small number. Uh, so, you know, I I I feel very fondly towards Phil. I don't know what he feels towards me, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I've had things like there, there was another podcast I was on, um, uh, you know, debug. Rennie Ritchie and Guy English. Okay, I know them. I don't know the podcast though. Uh, well, the, the the podcast stopped some years back, but it was a it was a similar kind of interviewing developers in a in, in a conversational style, much like this. Um, and uh, I told a variety of stories on that, and you know some that I possibly shouldn't have. <laughs> and uh, the particular story was uh, so. 
the other backstory is that I later in Apple went on to work on the Mac OS X dock. That was my, uh, I spent 18 months on that. Was that because of drag thing? Cause like, yes, there's obviously connections and pre, uh, pre the dock in Mac OS X, there wasn't a concept of a dock like that, right? Yeah. I mean, the, it was a combination of things. It was like Next had a dock, and most of the the uh, engineering management came from Next at that time. So you know th- they wanted a dock for for the Mac as well. Um, but you know, drag thing was mentioned as as one of the sort of things in the design document as a possible inspiration. So you know they they knew who I was, and, right? But the so I worked away on that for eighteen months and. Uh, I was working on it from Cork and it was a super secret project and Steve Jobs found out and he was extremely unhappy that uh, a super secret feature was being worked on outside Cupertino. Oh. And so the uh, famous quote from him, which I use in pretty much every talk I've given, is uh, him talking to my boss's boss's boss uh, with the line, and I'm sorry if you're going to have to bleep this. Um, it has come to my attention that the engineer working on the dock is in f***ing Ireland. <laughs> so that was the start um, of, uh, I was told to move to Cupertino or else. And I said, no. Uh, and this went on for a while. And eventually I got a second ultimatum to move over. And I said, no. And I was told, well, if you don't move over, uh, we're going to take you off the dock and the finder and you're never going to get any more interesting work ever again. And I resigned. Ouch. Uh, because that just felt like blackmail to me at the time. And I didn't want to live in the States. There was a reason why I was in Europe. So. I, I, I told that story. Oh, oh, the, the final part of the story is like a few weeks after I resigned, they fired everybody else in Cork. So. Oh, man. They were basically planning to shut down the team and they wanted me to move to ah, Cork, uh, to okay. yeah, California. That makes sense. But they wouldn't tell me that they were planning to shut down the team. Um, so they just gave me an ultimatum thinking that my reaction to that would be say, yes, please. Um, and uh, I didn't. Yeah. So if I'd stayed an extra few weeks, I'd have got some severance money. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so I told this story. And at a WWDC like three, four years ago, I was talking to Craig Federici um, because I'd seen him in a session or whatever. And I thought, well, I'll just corner him. And I, at the time, I made up these little pin badges of the Peacock app icon. Yeah. And I was giving them out to to folk uh, at the conference. And I thought, well, I want to give him one. And I went up to him and I sort of introduced myself and, uh, you know, kind of explained who I was. And I started to tell some story. And he said, oh, yes, I've heard you tell that story on a podcast. Oh, man. Uh, and I was like, that, that sort of fear of, well, there's only one podcaster that I can be. <laughs> and... I'm pretty sure I told things on that that, you know, weren't 100% favorable to Apple. And, <laughs> but, you know, he was really nice. And, and I don't know, it's just that sort of, you know, heart sink moment of like, you know, this guy knows who I am. This is great, but it's also terrifying. <laughs> there is, it is really funny how we think of like, there's this huge Apple like community and 
podcasts and blogs and all this stuff. And that feels so apart from Apple, the black box. And it's like, we can't see in, but I always forget that they can see out and they probably consume all the same stuff that we all are. Yep. And I've heard people say literally that, that they listen to all the same podcasts we do. They know all the things. They just can't chime in and comment on stuff. And, you know, I mean, you've seen like things like, um, I think it was Connected that got featured in one of the the keynotes. And I think ATP got called out on something else. You know, it's that kind of, they know who we are. I mean, it's that that's, again, it's kind of, uh, a little worrying. <laughs> but I mean, you, you talk to the people like, you know, sometimes people will reach out. If you like, if I'm really frustrated and you badmouth some technology on Twitter because, you know, you've been banging your head against some API and it doesn't work. And, you know, the thing you really shouldn't do is sort of say, ah, the people who wrote this are a bunch of bozos or whatever. Right. Because they might follow you on Twitter or, you know, they somebody might point out the thing to them. And it's like, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't want people saying, you know, the stuff that I work on is is bad. And I've had that happen a few times and, and you know, kind of it drills into you that you shouldn't, you know, there are actual people who write all this stuff and they have the same feelings and right. you know, things that we do. It like humanizes them whenever you actually hear from the person. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes like you'll know somebody before they go over to Apple. So, you know, you might have some kind of rapport with them and, you know, people won't, people in Apple won't uh, leak stuff. I mean, well, they don't leak it to me generally, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, people will, people might reach out and say, uh, you should probably do this rather than do this. Um, or, you know, if I say I'm having this, I've run into this really bad problem. Here's a bug number. I'll post that to Twitter. Sometimes people DM you and say, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at that now and, and we'll let you know kind of thing. So as you say, it's this capital and it, that's what I think is the sort of key thing in 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 our little community is trying to sort of you know spend it wisely and and get the kind of i don't know it's a kind of it's a weird thing you know thinking of it in sort of this kind of financial terms yeah yeah but but it but it's like a you know it's like an energy meter in some rpg you know you've got to build up this energy and and you know use it when it's when it's wise to do so and and the way you can build it up is by being a good member of the community and kind of trying to help people as you can. And, you know, sometimes you get people who kind of want more help than you can give them. And, you know, you should try and in a nice way say, you know, there's this documentation really helped me. You know, this sample code is a good thing to look at, that sort of thing. But yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a nice place. Um, and I, you know, the development has changed enormously in the, from, you know, when I'm sending software around on floppy disks and <laughs> uploading it to FTP servers to now when you have, you know, app stores and, and, you know, everything has changed in terms of the, the commerce side of things. It's really hard to sell apps now. And it, it felt relatively easy to do so 25 years ago. You were certainly competing against less, but there was also a smaller market, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a, but it's the sort of big fish, small pond thing. Yeah. You know, you can be the, you know, doc app or the 
calculator app because there's only like about 10 of them yeah (laughs) yeah that's not the case now unless you come up with something truly original but that's and and there's nothing truly original yeah i mean it was like i remembered i can't remember it was like very early days of the app store and like somebody had a ukulele and i'm like i wonder if there's a ukulele tuner app you know there's like 10 of them and it's like so it's hard to find a, a niche but on the other hand, you know, you you can make something that's good and do it well. I mean, it doesn't guarantee you success, but um, and and I think a lot of my success is to do with luck and being in the right place at the right time and being around for a long time. You know, there's nothing that helps success like prior success. And I think I think there's that uh, goodwill capital that we keep talking about. Like, you're a member of the community that's contributed a lot. Or at least I, I can say this from my perspective, having literally never talked to you before today. My impression of you has always been that you're a super nice developer who's been really like active in the community and helpful. And so whenever you put something out like Dice, which we should definitely talk about really quick before uh, we run out of time here, I immediately took notice of it just because, hey, this guy who's been doing Peacock for forever and Everybody talks about, and he's had lots of good thoughts or been on lots of podcasts, whatever. He just came out with a thing. I should just check it out just because of his reputation. And I really do think that's that's a big part of being able to stand out uh, in the store. At least if you're if you're going after sort of the iOS community niche as your market, I guess. Yeah, I mean, with the with Dice, it, it came out from a couple of things because I mean, one uh, Peacock has a. I think I can say somewhat elaborate about screen. (laughs) Yeah, we should probably explain that really quick. Uh, Again, probably almost everybody already knows this, but Peacalc calculator app, a very good calculator app and looks nice, but at the end of the day, it's doing its job. It it looks like a calculator app, but you have funneled all of your creativity and increasingly uh, intricate like physics engine skills into the about screen. Uh, Did that start on the Mac or did that start on iOS? Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was, I was doing it simultaneously. I was developing it for the, that year's, uh, releases, both Mac and iOS. So I, I had it basically cross platform, um, when I was developing it. Uh, it was actually, it's a lot easier to develop it on the Mac side, uh, just because back then the simulator didn't support 3D graphics as well. Ah, uh, yeah. But, um, I mean, the the background to this, I would uh, suggest people check out. I did a talk called uh, An Illustrated History of Easter Eggs, yes. which gives <laughs> the the reason why I wanted to do this. But And it ties back to Apple and it ties back to the games and a, and a lot of stuff. But And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It was, uh, and I, I did that at uh, NS North in Montreal and I did it again at uh, the Hacking with Swift Live conference in Bath. I was going to say this year. Yeah, it was this year. Yeah, time has a, has a, been a Man, weird thing. Yeah, that seems like that was a long time ago. <laughs> but um, that talk sort of goes into the, the the background of why I did it. But it, it started out as a, I want to learn how to do 3D graphics and I want to learn how to do AR and I want to learn how to do all the physics stuff. And I, it was, you know, Try and learn new things because that's a really useful skill. And it's one of the things I use PCALC for is 
you know, there's a new technology. It's like, is there a sensible way that I can integrate this into Pico to learn about how it works? And that's how I've basically done my development for the last, you know, whatever it is, 30 odd years that I've been doing things, um, is learned through making stuff. And so th- this about box, well, I think you just kind of need to see it for yourself. Um, you haven't gone deep enough into it until you found the helicopter and the castle. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I have not gotten to that, but I, I think there's, there's something to that, uh, that about screen that I, I can say at least, uh, anecdotally from me, that is why I bought your app in the first place, because it, it's sort of like a viral thing. Like even before I was in, into iOS development, I knew that Peacock was a popular calculator app and that it had this crazy Easter egg thing in its about screen. Yeah. And I like when that um, came out, I got a review on Mac stories. There was a review of the about screen, <laughs> you know, it was, it was very silly, but you know, it, it, I mean, it was, it was a couple of, it was born out of a couple of things and it, it was like, you know, uh, 2016 was not a great year on many levels. Um, you know, both here and in the States, uh, you know, there's a lot of political upheavals and, you know, my mental health wasn't brilliant, uh, for a variety of reasons. And it was like, let's do something fun. Let's do something, you know, I'm, I'm working on the, the app and, you know, I'm doing all the calculator stuff, but let's, you know, do something different and kind of, you know, get the creative juices flowing a little. And, you know, I, I've always tried to put a bit of my personality into my apps, but this was kind of, uh, it's clearly a bit too far. Like I hired, <laughs> I hired a composer who made music for the about screen. <laughs> anyway, so I'd been doing all this 3D stuff and uh, one of the, other things that I've been doing for fun, like the the incomparable podcast that you mentioned, uh, one of the things we've been doing this year is I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons over the internet with a bunch of people that, you know, like uh, Mike Hurley, Tiff Armit, uh, Jason Snell, you know, it, it's people who are well known in, in the, the Apple community, but who are not as, well, they, they, they do they do other things for fun as well. And so, you know, Jason has this network called The Incomparable, and it's a lot of pop culture podcasts. And Mike wanted to uh, play D&D because he's uh, a young whippersnapper and had not been alive when D&D had sort of become popular the first time around. Uh, so we set up, there was this existing uh, podcast called Total Party Kill, which is just live live recordings of us, of people playing D&D. And so a group was got together to do this. And we started playing it. And I think it was Jason who said, I'm surprised that you've not done anything, you know, with uh, uh, polyhedral dice in, in the about screen or, or done an app for it because there were six-sided dice in, in the about screen and there was a bunch of stuff but i, I was like ah, oh, that's, that's interesting you know so i kind of prototyped the code a bit in the about screen that you could uh you know drop and drop hundreds of uh dice uh in in the about screen and, and it would correctly you know work out the total of all the dice so you know drop 500 random dice and you know see, see what the total was and I was like, well, okay, I could probably turn this into a product. Uh, so I gave myself a week to make an app because I, I like I've done 
basically two apps, which is PCalc and DragThing. Both- That's what I was going to ask. Was there anything else in between, or is this your first time launching an app since the 90s? Um, well, a, a new app that wasn't a port. Basically, yes. I mean, it's like I had done some other stuff, and obviously the stuff at Apple. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I guess that was the 90s. So yeah, since then, <laughs> it, it was like, those were the two things that I'd worked on. And I thought, okay, you know, most of my apps are like 25 years old. Uh, what can I do in a week? So I sat down, and it was a ridiculously optimistic timescale, but I got a prototype working in a week. And my, my time, my deadline was we were playing D&D that Saturday, and I wanted to have an app that I could give to people uh, who were playing. And I then spent another week polishing it up and I shipped it on the store. So it was two weeks from create new project in Xcode to ship. And yeah, there was, a, there was a, there was some of the code came from the about screen, but a lot of it was just sort of, you know, it, I mean, it's not scene kit does a lot of the work for you. So I put that out and then it was a, a success. And as you say, it's because people, uh, knew who I am and, you know, I tweet about this and, people out of curiosity will look at it. And what I then did was there was the people, the uh, members who sponsor the incomparable podcasts. Uh, there's a, a channel in a, a private Slack, which you can get access to. If you become a member, I should plug, uh, you should become a member of the incomparable. Um, and the, they, uh, I basically turned that channel into my beta testers for the app. And I had people saying, Oh, it'd be great if it could do this, or it'd be great if it could do this, or I'm playing this, this kind of RPG system. And it'd be good if you could do this with the dice. And also it's a, it was a fun thing to play more with 3D graphics and to do things like, Oh, I want to make a, you know, uh, a dice theme that looks like pulsing red lava or something like that. And it's like, yeah, I saw uh, John Gruber asked for a special uh, theme too, didn't he? Well, no, he was complaining. Uh, he complained that I was using Arial as the font. Oh, that's right. <laughs> of course it was the font. I, you know, are you trying to kill me? So I made up, I actually <laughs> implemented uh, a set of Daring Fireball dice in the right colors. And he complained about the font on that as well. But, you know, <laughs> that, that I haven't actually shipped that yet, but it, it's on my list of things to do as a silly thing. Um, and, and so, you know, I've put time into it and it's been a success. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like PCALC is my, uh, my day app and that's my evenings and weekends mess around app. And it, it was useful, you know, cause I ported it to Catalyst. And the reason that I did that was it was a small enough app and I wanted to see what Catalyst was capable of. And, you know, so it, you know, PCALC used to be that test app when I was like, the, my main thing was drag thing. And now DICE is the test app. I don't think DICE is ever going to take over and be my main income stream. But, you know, it's, it's a nice little bonus uh, payment. Uh, and, you know, it's been, I've put more work into it than I should have really for the, for the, <laughs> but that's kind of what I do. And, and it, that's one of the benefits of being an indie, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you can make decisions that are not always just based on the money. And yeah, that, that's kind of might get you social currency instead of, uh, actual, you know, money this month. But, you know, maybe you spend that capital six months down the line or a year down the line. 
Yeah, so it, it's that, that's been a fun thing to do, like to create something new, and it also means that like when I talk to somebody and they say something like, "So have you come up with any new apps?" And for the last twenty odd years, I've been saying, "No, I'm, I'm still, <laughs> still still working on a calculator or still doing this." And uh, I, I can say, "Yeah, I, I did something new this year." Yeah, that's that's cool. And like for the actual release of it. Were you, I guess you weren't really, you were treating it like a side project more than you were treating it like a new product, but did you, did you do any sort of like marketing or launch prep or anything like that? Or was it kind of, um, Hey guys, I made a cool thing, you know? So, I mean, like I called it dice by peacock because I was trying to come up with a name and every single possible permutation of dice related pun or whatever was already take it there is no shortage of dice rolling apps on the store right and there are some of them that are actually very good but you know i wanted to make my own and i i called it dice by peacock because it's like well i can leverage the peacock brand that people know about if people search for peacock on the store it'll come up and things like that um and i i kind of was I think I teased stuff on Twitter about it and, you know, it'd been talked about on the, in the Total Party Kill recordings. But those didn't come out until after the app, right? Well, yeah. I mean, like if, if you were a paid member, you could, you could basically watch us live. You ah, could watch gotcha. us. Uh, well, at time of recording or time of recording, we've got one more session to go. Uh, but I think by the time this is released, uh, it will all be done. Yeah. But uh, again, link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> And you can also see my Lego artwork that I have done for each episode of the. Of the oh podcast. yeah, yeah. Uh, which is another. It's another like. Oh, here's a creative outlet. Um, do something silly, and I think it's important, especially if you're an indie, um, or maybe especially if you work f- uh, for a big company. Yeah, and- I would almost say more so if you're uh, working slogging through uh, the normal office hours, working on yeah, something I'm- that isn't your sort of creative vision. Yes. I mean, it, I think it's important to exercise those creative muscles, even if it's like not something that's making you necessarily lots of money. I mean, also, you know, don't just do the silly stuff because you do need to make money. Uh, it, it's <laughs> Good point. It's like, you know, 90% sensible, 10% silly or some kind of, you know, uh, metric like that. Yeah. Um, Peacock would probably not be super successful if it was just the about screen. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like if I'd done that as a game, nobody would care. Right. But because it's in the about screen of a calculator, it's a silly thing. It's whimsy. It's fun. You know, people are like that. You know, I can't believe that. That well, let's just say that a large percentage of the app bundle size is <laughs> about screen, and you know, because it, it's it is it's a silly thing, and and you know, the game in it is is not going to worry Nintendo by any means. It's just a little <laughs> Yet. drive a car around and collect golden bananas in a small city. It's not, I've spoiled some of the surprise there, but anyway, <laughs> it, it, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a good game, it's, but it, it's, it's, what's the quote, something about, you know, a dog walking on its hind legs, you know, it's not done well, but the fact that it does it at all is <laughs> remarkable. I mean, that's a good point, though. The fact that it's like lurking inside of this genuinely very good and well-polished app is what makes it funny. 
Yeah, and and that and that's why I did it because it's like I I'm known I think for leaning into something like that's why there's like 45 alternate icons that you can pick in Pcalc. Yeah, because you know people started encouraging me, and it was like, well, you know, let's, I mean, I, like your your own app has more than its fair share of alternate icons. Oh yeah, I I definitely know the temptation to spend all of your time on icons and no time on coding. Um, but you've got like the the like the whimsy, the references to the podcasts and, yeah. and things like that in it. And, and it's that kind of like if you know and you look at it, you know, you you get the reference and it's like ah that the you know the people who know know and the people who don't um just think why is this guy done all these icons but, <laughs> well and hopefully uh if you don't care about it you don't even know or see it doesn't take away from the experience of using the app exactly yeah i mean that's the thing with peacock it's like it has to be a rock solid decent app in, in the first place to allow me to get away with some of the silly things that i do in it um but yeah so i mean dice was was that it was like breaking that silliness out and in a you know, a mercenary way monetizing the the effort that was going into that 3D stuff and learning about it and making making a product that would make, you know, a little bit of money um, and broadening my portfolio just a little bit. Well, and you got to experience A, launching a new product in 2019. Yeah. And <laughs> the same year that uh, your first product died, right? Because of uh, yeah. Catalina. So really, you still have two products, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's like one in, one out. Um, yeah, but you also got to do Catalyst, which is definitely something that's important for you potentially uh, with Peacock because I, I don't know if we mentioned it, but Peacock is on the Mac and iOS. And so potentially if, if Catalyst is good enough and you're comfortable enough in it, it would make it would benefit you to be able to have your iOS app and your uh, Mac app more on the same code base than they already are. Yeah, and and that's why I did it. That's why I did the the experiments to see where it was, you know, how far you could push uh, an app to be more Mac like that sort of thing. Um, and I have felt the benefit of, you know, I'm building from literally exactly the same source, um, and uh, well, I mean, exactly the same source. You know, I, I say that, but you know, there's if defs occasional sure, right. and 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 some variants. And I I do use the same source to build the watch version as well, which is 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 another very interesting thing because you know the UI layer is different, but the whole 3D stuff is all the same code. So you know, it if I add a feature to the the Mac version or the iOS version, it automatically appears in the TV version and the watch version. So having this like four platforms from one uh, source uh, is really nice from a development point of view because, you know, you just compile it, you know, four times and you've got four different uh, apps to upload. Uh, so yeah, I would love to do that with PCalc. I mean, there are some things which I don't think are quite there yet, but uh I'm hoping that that will be a possibility in the future. You know, I don't think this year, but maybe next year for, you know, it depends what we get for Catalyst 2.0 right. uh, with, with the next OS release. If Apple basically, if it's exactly the same and they don't touch it, then yeah, maybe they're more focused on Swift UI and they don't really want people investing uh, a lot more uh, new apps and things into it. But 
we'll see. That, that's still one of the big unknowns, I think. Uh, but by dipping your toes into that world, you have some context that makes it easier to jump off if they do uh, move in that direction. Yeah, and you know, I wrote it up as a as a uh, a blog post as well, and then you know, people talk about the blog post, and uh, you get invited onto podcasts to talk about it, <laughs> and, and and it's kind of this circle of because it's very hard i think to get your stuff uh, visible on the app store because as we said you know everything already exists a hundred times and you know you must know this yourself from you know uh white noise generating apps yeah there's one or two out there <laughs> you know, I, there's one or two but yeah yours is very polished and kind of you can see you know, you can see the developer through the user interface, if you see what I mean. Um, so I think that helps. I think it helps too that, like a calculator app, while there's a million of them on the store already, uh, there's also, it's extremely mass appeal. Yes. And so it, even if you can only get a tiny percentage of the market share by making something that is unique, whether it's, you know, approaching it from a different angle or more polished or whatever, even if you only get a tiny percentage of the market, that market is so big that that's actually a real income there. Yeah. And I think that's one of the the interesting things about the the app store and kind of the way that um, like the web uh, and podcasts and stuff are monetizing and like, because people need to be paid and, you know, I, most of the people listening to this know that, but you know, if you can't make a living writing something, you're going to do something else. You're going to take that job, you know, if you're lucky, you take that job at Apple and you know, you leave it all behind because you couldn't, uh, couldn't make a living as an independent developer. But, um, and I, and I hope people can make a living as an independent developer. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's the, it's the way that, Somebody can, you know, I can't remember. There's some quote that you basically, you need 5,000 dedicated fans or something like that. You know, if you're, if you're doing something like say you're a. Um, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like build. I can't remember what it is. I know what you're talking about though. It's like, uh, you need like 5,000 or some certain number, uh, build your app for that exact group and don't worry about the like mass group or something. That's like the gist of it. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like that also for podcasts. You know, if you can get an audience and you can get a dedicated group of people who want to support you and what you do, you know, through sort of Patreons or memberships or things like that, or, you know, you're a YouTube streamer or, or any of these things, you know, you don't need to have millions of fans. You just need to have, you know, a s smaller number of people who are dedicated, who like the stuff you do. And, you know, you're not, you might not become rich off that, but you, you know, you might have, be able to have a reasonable living from it. I think that's kind of one thing that I've always, always tried to do is maybe not make the, the decisions thinking about the, you know, the billion people who have an app store account, you know, just try and find a, a small group. I mean, like, uh, Dice has sold a, a decent number. 
uh, you know, I had a figure in my head. And it's like, well, if I can sell this much, I'll call this a success. And then it sold more than that. More than that. And I was like, oh, I kind of now have a problem because this is now a significant number of people. <laughs> I can't like just abandon the it. app. Yeah. I have to actually support it and add new things. And yeah, that's not a bad did thing. You, did you add a thing where uh, after the first year of Dice, if you haven't updated it, it just stops working? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Apple does that for you these yeah, days. Yeah, I guess so. that's true. <laughs> um, but I, I don't mean to say bad things about Apple. <laughs> but you know, well, I mean. I mean that's the that's the cost of uh, the OS moving forward constantly, yeah. right? And, and like iOS moves forward a lot faster than macOS has. I mean, yes, we had this extinction level event with 32-bit apps this year, but we haven't had one of those in a long time. And that did take out. Yeah. It took out DragThing as you alluded to earlier, because DragThing was a carbon app, and it was hasn't really been making much money for a decade, so. To, to make it into a 64-bit app, I'd have to rewrite it completely from scratch. And that would take a long time, and I wouldn't have time to spend writing on the apps, writing the apps that were making money. So, you know, from my limited time perspective, you know, sadly, you have to let it go. And that was kind of, it was a big deal for me because it was like, you know, I started that in 94 or whatever. It's kind of it's what started a, it all, right? Well, I mean, well, Peacock. Peacock was first, but then DragThing became the popular one. And then DragThing kind of waned off. And as iOS started, Peacock had this big resurgence and is now the sort of my main income stream. Um, but it's always really been those two. Uh, so to have one of them go away, I mean, it's like, you know, I used it on my own computers. So it's kind of, ah, oh, well, I can't use that anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, 24, 25 years is a pretty good run for a piece of software. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you have to kind of let let these things go. Even yeah, I think I'd been probably maintaining drag thing and keeping it running longer than I should have. But you know, people were using it and it still worked. So yep that that was a kind of a, a sad moment. But I had this sort of. One app goes off into the sunset and one new baby app appears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there can only be two. Yes. <laughs> that's that's the uh, Thompson rule. I, I think, is that Jedi and Sith or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Master and Apprentice, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'm not quite sure what that makes me in, in this uh, analogy. But. Yeah, let's, let's not go, let's not explore there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I, I, I'm going long. I'm really sorry, but I do have one last question I do want to ask uh, that I plan on asking everybody, which is like, what's a person or app in this community, kind of what we've been talking about a lot here, uh, that's inspired you and you recommend other people uh, check out, whether it's like on Twitter, just an app or whatever? So I kind of burned my answer for this because um, I was thinking uh, Jeff Mentor, this games developer, who is like, he is he was a complete inspiration for me starting programming and even today like like he lives on a farm uh, oh man with uh i think is it four sheep two llamas uh a, a variety of creatures which he has loved for you know all of his life and uh, uh he Right, he's still writing games. Uh, he's now writing them with his partner, 
and uh he's done like these numerous remakes of tempest and he's done a, a really good vr game called polybius and he's he works on lots of stuff but it's very sort of you can't play one of his games and not know it's by him okay yeah uh, it's like you could sit anybody who played one of the the commodore 64 games you know 30 odd years ago sit them in front of his latest vr game and they'd go all oh, right this is a jeff mentor game you Man, know, it, it might be in 3D, but it's like, you know, how you hear a piece of music and you know who wrote it, you know, it's like, yeah, or like Nintendo. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's that, it's that style of thing. It's like, you can hear the musician, you can, you can see the artist, you, you know, their, their, the style of, of what they do. And, and it's like, he's been doing this stuff across three decades and, uh, you know, he does stuff his way and, you know, he's been burned by companies and he's, he's had all these setbacks and he did iOS apps and he's very anti iOS and Apple at the moment because, <laughs> uh, you know, he was trying to do, to sell games at the point where basically the bottom dropped out of the market mm, uh, for, yeah. for selling games on iOS. And so he got really badly burnt on that. Um, and he's he's actually just redone all his iOS games as VR games, um, and he's he's a fascinating fellow. And uh, just following him on Twitter, you know, I've interacted with him a few times. I said I met him once. He has no idea who I am, but as an inspiration for like, yeah, I can I can do this stuff. I can I can like be quirky and you know, try and make something that says it's me. And, you know, people seem to respond to that. And, you know, he has he has extremely dedicated fans. You know, there's forums where people discuss his work in great depth and uh, and stuff. And uh, he lives in Wales. Uh, and it, I, I recommend he live streams feeding his sheep uh, every day. <laughs> That's awesome. Does is he on Twitter? Yeah, he's on Twitter. I think he's uh, it's Llamasoft Ox. Okay, his, I'll make sure uh, I find him and include him in the show notes too. Uh, his his company is Llamasoft. Um, you know, he, the the, the fixation <laughs> with putting animals in the games has been around since the the beginning. Um, and yeah, so th- th- I mean, it's not necessarily relevant to the iOS community, but. As, as relevant to me as 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 somebody that literally inspired everything that I've done. No, that's perfect though. That's one thing I'm trying to do with this show too. Is I don't want to only have app developers on, even though that's probably the primary audience. Because I think there's a lot to be learned and a lot of inspiration to be found outside of the industry that you're in. And so this sounds like exactly that kind of scenario. Like he's not exactly making iOS apps, but it's the sort of personality and the way he presents himself and runs his business that has been the inspiration for you. And that's bled into your work, even though it's not yeah. the same things that you're making. Yeah. And, and I mean, one of the things um, I found, which I've noticed kind of, I mean, this, this is a, this is a, a ridiculously shallow observation, but it's like now I, I'm sort of following people like say there's a, a comic artist that I really like, you know, and you follow them on Twitter and you, you know, you might actually talk to them occasionally and 
you realize that they're people, you know, yeah. all the people <laughs> who make all this stuff, you know, they're all people. And this is kind of like a, a, a strange revelation, you know, to have, but, you know, you could talk to them, you know, they might be too busy to talk back to you, especially people who are, um, you know, sort of triple A top tier, whatever, who have hundreds Blue of, check marks. of followers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but you know, there's people making great stuff, you know, at the, the mid and, you know, the sort of indie, there's a huge indie comic scene. And if you go to any of the, like the comic cons in Glasgow, there'll be all these people who are making their own stuff and, you know, self publishing it or whatever, who've hired a little table uh, at a comic con and they're trying to get the word out and, it's that same thing, you know. All all of these industries have the, have creative people at lots of different levels, and they're all people. And you know, it's like I don't know what my equivalent is, but you, you find out that you know the the people who say write a certain comic, they, you know, you might make more money than they do because they're getting paid quite badly or or whatever it is. And it's like you think, but. But I look up to these people, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so it, it, it's a case of trying to find all these different creative. I mean, I, I think you. I mean, yes, you, you're focused on on the sort of development side of things to a certain extent, but um, launching something like you know, launching a new comic or launching a piece of music or any of these things, there's, there's a certain amount of similarities. In it, and I'm sure in all these industries that are as equivalent, you know, it's hard to be noticed. There's right, but each industry has probably come up with different uh, things that everybody does. Like all app developers will probably reach out to the same couple papers or uh, uh, websites, blogs, and will do certain things on Twitter or whatever. But if you talk to somebody in like web comics or somebody who does like a YouTube channel or short films, they might have a whole different set of ideas. Some of which you could totally steal for app development <laughs> that every other app developer isn't already doing. And so yeah, that's exactly. kind of the type of thing I, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to do if I can convince some people to come on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I think that would be really interesting and to sort of get that. Uh, I mean, especially the sort of in, indie app developer scene where people are like wearing many hats. Cause it's not just writing an app. It's like, that's, you're probably less than 50 percent yeah of the work it, it's the well you're writing an app but you're also trying to promote the app and you're doing tech support for the app and your design and you know design you're you're like you might be drawing the icons yourself you might hopefully be, not but maybe legal <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I mean, I've, I've been there as well trust me um <laughs> that there's, there's a lot of i mean that was that was another thing where um yeah i'll not get into that story <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm already over on your time uh we'll we'll unpack that a different day no it was just like the, there's like oh yeah i'm not legally i'm not supposed to talk about the outcome of that um but <laughs> the, the you know the, there's there's a you're wearing so many hats and and you're you're kind of trying to become this you know, you could be the best person in the world at writing an app. And if you're terrible at all the other things, you're probably not going to get anywhere. You might not get anywhere even if you're great at everything. Because right. as I've said, a lot of it is luck. And a lot of it is terrible things like, oh, do you know the right people? 
you know, can you get somebody to talk about this? Um, you know, and that that's the thing. Well, sometimes people come to me and they say, you know, what's the, I don't want to say it like this, but you know, what's the secret of your success kind of thing? And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I literally, I just feel, you know, there's a certain amount of imposter syndrome in For it. For sure. And, I, I I wrote a few pieces. Uh, I think they're up on my blog um, about imposter syndrome, and and there is a certain amount of like I don't know how I'm still doing well, and I imagine that somebody will unmask me at any moment as the fraud that I clearly am. And you know, I've been doing this long enough that those thoughts should, you know, I should realize. I probably do actually know what I'm doing and I probably am reasonably good at what I do, but I don't have great answers for the, how do you, how do you become a success? Because you can look, you know, I can say, well, I did this, this, and this, and I'm a success. Therefore the steps must be, you do this, this, and this, but you know, it's not, you know, you can try and kind of uh, reverse engineer how you became a success and, you know, you you see, well, I did these things, so clearly that's what it was. But it might have nothing to do with that, and a lot of it uh, is luck. Yeah, I I've been like going through sort of a similar thing because I came from nobody knowing who I am to releasing my first app, which did pretty well. And like I started learning iOS developer development this year, so I don't, I, I'm definitely not an expert. Most of the people who are asking me these questions know way more about all of this stuff than I do. And so I have a similar thing where I'm like, I don't really know exactly like what I did. And I, I tried, right. I just wrote up blog posts, literally outlining everything I did. And I can just point people to that now. Yeah. Uh, but I like one of my answers is an uncomfortable one, which you sort of alluded to, which is I, I this wasn't uh, like malicious, but I got a couple people to retweet uh, my tweet with those app icons in there because they're referencing some of those podcast shows hmm. and by getting like Federico Vitici, I don't even know if he retweeted it, but he like liked it or something. And when you're as small as me, somebody like that, even liking it suddenly gives you a big like profile boost. Yeah. Um, and then a couple other people did, you know, after that or whatever. And it's like, I don't like saying that because it is an uncomfortable thing to say. Like I wasn't doing that, you know, intentionally or maliciously necessarily although i'd be lying if i said i was adding those and not thinking like oh it'd be so cool if they saw this but like if i said that that was the advice to somebody else somebody else doing the same thing might not work at all because if everybody starts doing that it doesn't have like uh what's the word i'm looking for novelty yeah i mean same with like your about screen like if everybody just made an about screen just like yours then it's like well what's the point of this well, I think the world would be a better place. But, <laughs> That's yes. a good point. <laughs> but, but, you know, but I, I get exactly what you're saying. And it and it's the sort of, um, don't go, I think with all of this stuff, don't go into it with a sort of calculating uh, approach. Because then, you know, people will be like, you, you'll get seen through very, very quickly. I think you yeah. can be calculating, but not... I don't know how to say this, but also be genuine, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because like, like if you're making things with the intent of like, uh, this thing might go viral is maybe not the right word, but that kind of concept, right? Where it's like, uh, I'm going to do a couple of these things and I hope one of them will sort of pop and get attention from the right people. And that could be really good for me. That doesn't mean it's like uh, gross or 
you're trying to be manipulative or something like that, I don't think. But then the flip side is don't just copy what somebody else does and like, or feed a controversy to the press or something like that, or like try and cultivate a fake relationship with the press, I guess. Yeah. And and, and I think it's like, you have to be kind of genuine, I think, in the stuff that you do. And I think uh, people respond to that. And I think you have to, especially, you know, when you're dealing with the press, again, this comes back to the, these people are human beings. Yeah. We know. keep calling them the press as if it's like the New York Times or something, but usually it's, this is a, you know, a person. It's Federico. It's Mike. It's Jason. Yeah, exactly. It's Marco. It, it's these people. And, and, you know, I don't think it hurts to say, I've written what I think is a cool thing. You know, I'm going to send a, you know, I'm going to send links to it to, you know, these people that I listen to on podcasts who I really respect or whatever. And, you know, lots of people are doing that. So it's very hard, I think, also for people to, you know, because I, you know, I'm not in that situation, but I imagine that they get hundreds of emails a day saying, you know. Oh, yeah. I Everybody I've ever talked to says, hey, you should send out like a, a press, a press kit you know, link with a little email blurb and you should send that to everybody. And, you know, you might send like literally 40 emails. And if you get one back, you've done really good. Like you got really lucky slash you did a good job. Yeah. But if you hear nothing back, like don't feel bad about that. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, a lot of these people, you know, that they, they can't respond to everything. Um, a lot of times things will get read and, you know, if something catches their attention, then, you know, maybe they'll reach out to you or whatever. But, you know, to do Twitter, I mean, Twitter is a hellhole, but it's also extremely useful. Yeah. It's, I think, you know, you can have something like if you're, you're looking into a technology like shortcuts or catalyst or whatever. And if you write that up, you know, and you tweet it and somebody retweets it, maybe that gains some traction as well. And people go, Oh yeah, you know, I I've been trying to do something like I, there was some catalyst bugs I was running into and you know, you you search and oh, you know, Steve Trotton Smith has put up a a blog post about this particular thing in Catalyst or um he's another person obviously people should check out and follow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um and uh you know, the 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 um Getting better known is is a gradual process that can't be forced, but uh, and you know sometimes if you're unlucky and there's an an, uh, an Apple App Store rejection, you might become uh, slightly more famous quicker than you <laughs> expect. Uh, that's sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. But but yeah, uh, it's a gradual thing. It's like people say, you know, oh, how do you? How do I become a success? And I'm like, well, get a time machine, go back 27 years, start there, and uh, that's the best answer I've got because I I don't know how to replicate it today. You know, if I was starting from scratch, I mean, like you coming into this community, like in the last year, it it's a uh, it must be fairly daunting. It's definitely definitely a different world, uh, but there's also way more resources and you know more people uh and different ideas out there that are easily accessible because of like the internet so yeah, yeah. i'm sure it's just a list of pros and cons i don't know if it's easier or harder or some weird combination of the two well i mean the things that i've heard from uh people who have done both ios and android apps is that uh ios apps tend to make more money just because for 
you know, either it's the community or, or what, but I know people that have done like the same game on both platforms and have sold a reasonable amount on iOS and not very much on, on Android. Yeah. Android's definitely a like free to play, uh, like ads or some sort of monetization that's not paid up front. Yes. Is basically a must. And, and I've, I've been doing paid up front since the beginning, kind of well, other than when my stuff was free or shareware or whatever. But, you know, from the iOS and the app store world, I've always been paid up front. And that's, I'm kind of an outlier now. I'm, you know, I'm selling an app at $10. Yeah. I'll say like Peacock in particular was sort of an inspiration for me to say like, it's okay to do a paid up front app. That's, you know, my app is $4, which or $5. Oh, I should know that, but I don't. <laughs> uh, but like that felt like, sort of daunting or I'd get sort of laughed out of town, but because it was my first one, I didn't want to go through the subscription process or deal with servers or anything like that. And I saw Peacock and I'm like, well, I mean, it's still a thing and people seem to like that in particular. I don't know that I would be able to build a company off of a paid upfront app uh, very easily, at least right now. But for a side thing, it, it seems to be still a viable option. Yeah. And Peacock was a good, like, example of that being the case well on, on the one hand i'm glad on the other hand i'm thinking i hope i'm not setting like you know being an inspiration for people because I, I mean i've heard people saying oh you know you were a great inspiration to me i quit my permanent job oh gosh full-time <laughs> indie and i'm like oh no <laughs> you know it's like uh, did you you know get the app you know work on the app first before you quit the day job. Yeah, that's that's uh, scary. That's a big jump. I, I, but that that was, you know, like, you realize that you have a certain responsibility to people. Uh, and yes, uh, that is mildly terrifying. Yeah, that is a really good point, though, that I've never really thought of. That, and that's why giving context is, I guess, important. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't think... If I was starting from scratch, I don't know that I would be able to have the same impact that I've had. Or at least not in the same way. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully I would have found work somewhere, but <laughs> who knows? Uh, and I'm very lucky that, you know, I get to do what I do and get to do a lot of it on my own terms. But, you know, the bomb could drop out of this tomorrow. You know, if, if Apple turns around and said, we've decided we're going to do, you know, like the Apple Arcade, but for apps, which is my great fear that they will do something like this yeah. at some point. And it's like, you're either in it or you're not in it. And, you know, oh, we've decided we're going to put this other calculator, which is slightly more popular or whatever into it. And then my entire income stream goes away. Uh, so, you know, things like that do keep me up at night, but. At the moment, you know, things are going well and uh, I will ride this train as long as I can. <laughs> well, on that note, I should probably let you go. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, no. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me. I mean, it's kind of, it's like we don't get to have these kind of conversations as much, you know, between developers and things. Uh, so I... You know, if this is helpful to anybody, you know, if people want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter, James Thompson, no P in the Thompson. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I 
wish you great success with this with this run of things and i hope you can get a uh, better guess than me going forward <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's like, that came off as false modesty when i said <laughs> that but you know what i mean I, no I, yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah i i good luck with it all and you know, thanks very much for asking me on thanks for listening if you like the show please go to apple podcasts right now and give us a rating and review or if you use a different podcast player, hit the star button in Overcast or give a rating in Breaker or Stitcher or honestly, whatever it is that you use. Uh, especially this week, I'm trying to make as much noise as possible to launch the show and maybe get a little bit of attention going towards the show. And if you'd like to discuss the episode, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or you can tweet the show at launched FM. And we have a dedicated subreddit called Launched FM, where you can discuss the show with me, other listeners, and maybe sometimes our guests will join us there too. For show notes, contact form, or to apply to come on the show, if you have a big launch in the future, go to launchedfm.com.